Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner Evan Preparis. I'm flying solo for this one besides my guest, which we'll introduce in a minute. This week's episode is brought to you by Harbinger Fitness. If you've ever been in a gym and used any of sort of their training accessories like dip belts or weight belts, you've probably used Harbinger Fitness. They have a lot of great stuff, both for strength training and then for obstacle course racing. I personally have one of their weight vests. Uh, it's great for training, you know, to increase obstacle proficiency or use it on a hill repeats. I like to do that with it too. They also have uh, fat bar grips, so like these rubber sleeves that go across the barbell or dumbbell, and they help work on grip strength in addition to working on whatever muscle you happen to be targeting with that exercise. So check out Harbinger. They also make kind of chalk balls if you want to, when you head to the climbing gym, if you want to get your hands nice and dry before you start climbing. Speaking of strength training, I have a very interesting guest with me on the podcast. Uh, so we have Billy Richards. So Billy, say hi. How's it going? Cool. I'm going to read through Billy's bio since some of you may not know who he is. He's quite an extensive bio. I had to chop it down heavily, but we're going to run through a bunch of his highlights. So he's a military veteran from U.S. Marine Corps and was also an Army paratrooper, master trainer with 14 years of personal training experience, certified in, ready for this, we've got like a dozen things here. American Council on Exercise has a personal trainer, health coach, medical exercise specialist, orthopedic exercise specialist, sports conditioning specialist, fitness nutrition specialist, and functional training specialist. Through NASM, which is the National Academy of Sports Medicine, personal as a personal trainer, corrective exercise specialist, performance enhancement specialist, and fitness nutrition specialist. That's in addition to more certifications, um, including Spartan SGX, uh, Level 1 CrossFit coach, and then... Besides being a trainer with a lot of certifications and a very deep uh, bed of knowledge, he's also done a lot of things in a lot of different sports, which is kind of why we have him on the podcast. So he's finished 466 events, um, which range a very wide variety, as you'll see as I kind of run through some of these. Winning his division in an IPA powerlifting meet in 2016, placed first in a winter throwdown CrossFit competition, competing in bros versus pros for 14, placing third in a deadlift event, Pulling 315 pounds for 38 reps, which is insane. Uh, Fourth in the curling event, 110 pounds for 42 reps, also insane. He's finished 294 events carrying the American flag, which is how you may know him. He also finished 205 events carrying a 45-pound military ruck. Included in that list of accomplishments is 28 marathons, 73 ultra marathons, um, including winning a 100-miler and placing second in another 100-miler. I uh, did four marathons in four days, done 35 Toughest Mudders, World's Toughest Mudder five times, uh, America's Toughest Mudder, the regional ones, the 8-hour ones three times, and 85 Spartan races, including 21 trifectas. Whew. We'll stop there. I, there's still like a lot more to the bio, which includes all of his fundraising stuff, uh, including raising money for police charities, which I'm going to ask about later. So we'll, we'll save that for later. So Billy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And before we kind of get into some more of your background and kind of how you got to where you are today, I just want to give everyone a little bit of a teaser. So tell people what your big goal is for 2019. Well, the goal for 2019 is I'm, I'm attempting – um, 
I researched the amount of uh, hundred milers that uh, you know the um, I, I uh, researched the uh, most amount of a hundred milers completed in a calendar year, and the number turned up to be forty. So I looked into it a little bit, and I was able to locate forty-three one-hundred-mile ultra marathons. So the goal for this year is to attempt to break the hundred-mile finish record of forty. And we're, yeah, we're recording this in early um, April. And how many have you done so far? Nine so far, with number ten coming up this weekend. Jeez. Wow. Okay, we're gonna ask a lot of questions about that later. I just wanted people to have an idea of kind of where your mindset and where your goals are for for this year and one of the other things that i find very interesting about you is you're not like a regular ultra runner body type as i read through some of your bio you could see some of your strength training background so no, give us like give us a height weight um of you and age right now well right now i'm uh well i'm 37 years old i weigh um or um my height's uh five nine i weigh 190 pounds yeah so not a small guy it's not like a twig running a running an ultra marathon all right so i covered a lot of your unique background so let's kind of back up a little bit more and start kind of at the beginning how did you get into sports and then how did it kind of lead to this such diverse diversity well when i was a kid um i was always more or less like uh the, like the little like the stocky the, the shorter stocky kid growing up you know like i i got picked on a lot i was also um you know, I also had a late birthday, so I was born in uh, December. So, you know, my parents had the choice of either holding me back a grade or skipping me ahead. So they decided to skip me ahead. So I was the youngest person in my grade and everything. And um, when I was about 13 years old, my parents went through a pretty nasty divorce. So, you know, I was with my mom for a little bit. Things didn't work out. So I went over with my dad and everything. And, um, you know, one day I just... Um, you know, I was always big, you know, when I was a kid, I was always big into like action movies and everything, you know, like, you know, like Schwarzenegger, Steven Seagal, Sylvester Stallone, Van Damme, you know, all those type of movies and everything. And uh, one day it just clicked. It's like, I just want to be, you know, like the biggest and strongest person out there, like those, like those guys. And, you know, like um, being that I got picked on a lot, I just kind of wanted that to stop. So I just took action. Uh, my uncle got me a weight set. I started out in my garage and then, um, you know, for my birthday later on that year, my uh, dad got me a gym membership over to Bally's, and uh, that's pretty much where I started out. Awesome. And wh where did you grow up? I grew up in Islip. Yeah, in Long Island, New York, which is where I'm from. So, boom, representing. I'm excited. You're the first Long Island person I've had on the podcast who I don't – like, I didn't – I had one other guy, but I grew up with him, so I don't really, I don't really count that. Okay, so you uh, – Brad, how old was this when you started kind of weight training initially? I was uh, 13. Okay. And so, yes, I'm, uh, yeah, keep going. Yeah, I started uh, I started very young. And then, you know, like um, I started out in my garage. I was always a little bit on the shy side, you know, so I was pretty I was pretty quiet. Never really, you know, talked to anybody or associated with anybody. But, um, yeah, you know, uh, my dad got me the gym membership and everything, though, because I started getting, like, tension headaches uh, once the weather got colder because the ventilation wasn't as good. So then, you know, like um, going to the gym and working out, I started like associating with more people and everything. So, you know, it kind of like almost became my social life. So I didn't really do too much like outside of school. I pretty much, you know, just worked out. So, you know. Nice. So you start building the strong base, uh, obviously a lot of strength training. 
Now, at what point does that start getting into more endurance sports? Because I'm assuming you did strength training for a while before you kind of crossed over. Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much grew up a gym rat. I did um, I did mostly like weightlifting. Um, I didn't really have any idea what I was doing at first because I was just a kid. So I pretty much like learned things off the gym floor and everything. This is like, you know, this is like around the 1995 time frame, though. So it was a little bit of a different atmosphere. There wasn't as much stuff out there you know what i'm saying like no like internet no youtube no nothing so i learned a lot from like people on the gym floor you know like uh just reading magazines stuff like that and um you know i always did like my cardio and everything like that and then um as i got more towards 17 i mean i got i got to be pretty strong like by my senior year of high school i was up around 315 mark on the bench press i didn't really get in the deadlifts until later on but um you know leg pressing a thousand pounds, you know, stuff like that. But after high school, I, um, I had decided that I wanted to go into the military and I shopped around a little bit. So I figured, you know, if I'm going to go through all that, I might as well just go through the hardest one. If you, you know, if you see my red, you know, the, uh, bio and everything, you know, I'm, sometimes I'm a little more like, I'm, you know, like a all or nothing type. So I just, uh, picked the Marine Corps and, um, when I, when I first signed on for the Marine Corps, I was about 230 pounds. So I had to drop down the 190 to get in. So, you know, I, I was always like a little bit apprehensive about getting outside. So I started uh, waking up, um, you know, like this is going back to my senior year, but I started uh, waking up before school, before everyone else got up in the morning. I started running around the neighborhood and everything like that. So I started that habit kind of early, you know, before, uh, before I went into the military. So I used to run. I like a little three mile route. I used to run every morning. So that's pretty much what got me into it. Just uh, more or less to lose weight and get shape for the military. All right. Awesome. So you start getting a little bit more cardio shape into the military. And when did the, let's go with like the next kind of big tipping point. Like when did you go from, all right, I can do a couple mile run to I'm going to run a marathon or something like an ultra. Yeah. I mean the marathon stuff came a little later though. Like, um, like out of nowhere, like when I was when I was in the Marine Corps, like um, I never planned on getting fast, but I ended up getting really fast. I mean, this is back when I was 20 years old. I mean, obviously I'm nowhere this near this now though. But my fastest, uh, you know, Marine Corps, you got the three mile PFT. But my fastest Marine Corps PFT was a 1650. So yeah, at one fast. point, I got I got really really fast, and I just um, kept going with it. You know, um, after getting out of the Marine Corps, I pretty much, um, you know, I became a personal trainer. You know, I, um, original intention was to become a police officer, but, uh, then I just kind of got a little bit more into fitness and everything. So I did that for a little while. And then, um, I decided to go back into the army after that. And my original intention with the army though, was to go through the special forces program. So I went in, I went in there and, um, you know, I got through, I got through SFAS, I got through selection and everything. And while I was in holdover waiting for training, um, I had a bunch of friends that wanted to run the army birthday 10 miler, you know, so I'd never ran a race before. I figured why not? I'd give it a shot. So, you know, I went, I went out and did the race. I had a good time and everything went back in the training and then, um, came the language phase. So when I was in the language phase of training, I started, you know, I started thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, I could do some more things. This is like uh, around 2010. So, you know, I did a 10 K after that. 
And then after the 10K, I decided to jump right into a marathon. So my first marathon was the, um, you know, I'd always did it with friends too, though. And, you know, but uh, my first marathon was the City of Oaks Marathon. It's in uh, Raleigh. I don't know if you ever heard of that one. I have, yeah. Yeah, it's usually like right around the same time as like the New York City Marathon. It's like around that time frame. But, um, you know, I was supposed to run it with a friend, but my friend bailed on me because we had a, this is where it kind of gets a little fun. We had a 12 mile ruck that got that we were, you you familiar with like, um, with like uh, the special forces pipeline or anything like that? Um, Intimately familiar. We, yeah, uh, you know, every so often you have to do the 12 mile ruck assessments and everything like that. Yeah. I think we were in, I think we were in the Q course at the same time. We might've been, uh, I went to selection April of, uh, 2010. Okay. I went to selection earlier because, and then I got deployed for 14 months. Um, ah, okay. but I, d- I was in Q course in, uh, let's see. I started in late 2009 and then I graduated. Okay. Late I rejoined the military in November of 2009. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I didn't make, I didn't make it all the way through, you know, I kind of, you know, I, I have a little bit of an issue with land nav. I'm not the best at it, so. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's a <laughs> yeah. It requires a lot That's of practice why, and patience. Yeah, everyone's always asking me about Barkley marathons and this and that, and I'm like, I don't know. I'm not really that good <laughs> with a compass, so. Yeah, I mean, Barkley marathons. Not to get too far off track, but I mean, it's a it's a it's the world's hardest land nav course, right? Like it's yeah. not like it's classified. People call it an ultra marathon, but it's not. It's it's land nav. Oh yeah. Well, that, that, that's why I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't know about that one, <laughs> but I think um, a lot of runners go in there grossly underprepared and are, planning yeah. on, uh, you know, relying on, I don't know what they're planning on relying on their natural strength, but I know you to do well there, you need to not only have good orienteering, but you need to go out to that area and you need to practice because there's all sorts of like trails and, you know, things that aren't on the map. So you kind of need to be familiar with the area first. Uh, before you oh yeah there's that. probably also a lot of like natural obstacles you have to skirt around so like if you're not like good at map reading yeah absolutely you know. but um yeah to get back on to get back on track though like uh, i was supposed to run this uh first marathon with a friend though but we had uh we had a 12 mile ruck assessment and that and the marathon was on sunday and the 12 mile ruck assessment got rescheduled for monday so i had never ran a marathon before i had no idea how I was going to do. So I, you know, I ended up something just dawned on me. I was like, all right, I could do this. So my friend deferred the marathon, but I decided to go through with it. So I ended up finishing the marathon. I didn't have a bad time either. I didn't like three hours and 33 minutes. And then I came back the next day and I think my finish time for the 12 mile road march was like two fifteen or somewhere around that range. But, um, yeah, while I'm getting my ruck and everything, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm getting my ruck, I'm getting my ruck and everything weighed in, and um, one of my classmates goes up to me. He's like, "Damn, dude, didn't you just run a marathon yesterday?" So Cadre turns around, overhears him. He's like, "Whoa, stop! Wait a minute, a half or a full?" So I'm like, uh, "A full, sergeant." And then you know, rather than give you know saying good job or whatever, I proceeded to get my you know ass handed to me for a good like. 10, 20, well, exaggerating a little bit, but I got, uh, I got ripped apart basically, right. you know, cause they don't want you doing any extreme sports or anything while you're in the course. So see that that's then, very uh, instructor dependent. Cause I had one 
And he was super supportive of stuff. He's like, Hey, listen, really? You got to pass these gates. He's like, but other than that, he's like, you know, it's, it's on you. So, um, I mean, I used to go for runs sometimes before land that practice because I was like, all right, I need to get my miles. in." I was trying to call yeah, I used to. At the time. And, uh, I'd go run like five, eight miles, come back. And then I'd be like, all right, I'm ready for land F. And they'd be like, all right. Have oh, fun. nice. Yeah. <laughs> so it turned into a high mileage day. Those, those days. Yeah. I, I used to do something similar. That's another thing that, uh, the cadre ripped me apart about. Cause I used to, um, we used to have our organized PT. I mean, it was like loosely organized cause like, um, you know, our student leaders ran it, but, uh, I used to get up at 3am and go for like a six mile run before PT. So they got on me about that and you know i want to know your cadre because that is not the type of people i work with and uh yeah it was um i mean he he, i mean generally outside of that he was pretty relaxed it was uh sergeant jones sergeant first class jones at the time yeah i I mean a thousand i know there's i know it's a very generic name there's a lot of joneses but you know yeah okay anyway keep going but yeah, after that, the bug just kind of bit me though. So like, um, you know, in the language phase, cause you know, I, I was learning Persian Dari. So it's pretty much like six months of boredom. So I feel like you're just following me around. This is like super yeah. creepy, <laughs> right? Like I, I Farsi is my language. I went, I mean, okay, I, grew I, I, Long, I grew up in Long Island. I've been in the military like 15 years. Yeah. Uh, I'm like a year younger than you. So it's like our, I think we, the two of us have been like following each other around for 30 years and we just don't know it. Probably. <laughs> All right. Keep going. Keep going. But yeah, it was crazy though. Cause, um, the follow, you know, like, um, yeah. So after I did that marathon, I decided to do the Thunder Road the following month. Yeah, I did, it did pretty well in it, but that, that was also the first one I hit my first wall in, which that didn't really matter. Didn't stop me at all. But, um, after, um, after that, we went on, went on Christmas break, still working out like an animal and everything. And um, it was time for uh, small unit tactics. So went out to small unit tactics, got out there, had my first recycle, land nav, of course. So when I got recycled for land nav, I was in, um, I was in a holdover platoon or like um, I was with another IODA, but since I was already language qualified, like um, we pretty much had nothing to do. So... My first immediate goal, which I haven't done yet, I heard of like all these 50 state guys. So I'm like, all right, well, I got nothing to do. I'm going to go try and hit a marathon in as many different states as possible. So the IODA I got switched over to while I was in holdover was like very chilled out though. So like if they didn't have anything, everyone else was in school. So if they didn't have anything else for us to do, they just let us off for the day. So every Friday I was like shooting out to a different state. And I was finding all these marathons to do. I ended up doing a total of five and seven weeks while I was on, while I was in holdover. So, you know, like, uh, I started all these like mass quantity, like goals of events, like, you know, very early. Okay. But, um, you know, after that, I pretty much, um, after I got out of the course and everything, I went over the 82nd. Didn't really have that much time to do any more events. I, um, you know, ended up, um, I ended up getting out in 2012. So when I, um, when I got out, you know, I pretty much, you know, I didn't really start getting into events yet. That was like sort of my CrossFit phase in like 2012. You know what I'm saying though? So I got really heavy in the CrossFit, really heavy in the, you know, like more, 
like I just, um, you know, something, something just wasn't clicking right, you know, cause it, it happens to a lot of people when you get out of the military, you don't know what you're doing with yourself. You know, like you just, I just kept training, training, training. And then, um, you know, I, once, uh, 2013 rolled around, I needed to get back into something though. So I'm like, all right, you know, maybe I'll start doing some races again. So I started off with a cap with a couple of, uh, you know, half marathons, stuff like that. And then, um, you know, in the beginning of the year, I stumbled on, um, you know, like Spartan race and tough mutter and all those things. So the first thing I did, I did, um, I did the, I did the Charlotte sprint in 2013. That was my very first obstacle race. I wasn't really, I wasn't doing it competitively or anything. I just did it to do it. Actually, um, if you're familiar with the Marine Corps terminology, uh, boots and utes, where you run in uh, camel bottoms and boot in combat boots, that's exactly how I ran it. <laughs> so, you know, I got suited up like that. I did the Charlotte sprint. I did the Sunday one. It was probably the coldest thing I've ever done. You know, like four, it was only, yeah, it was, it was four miles. It was like 34 degrees and it was raining. I wore a tank top and camel bottoms. <laughs> Nice. And, um, you know, I like the challenge and everything and I got hooked on it. So like 2013, I was going to college. So, you know, like on the weekends and everything, I would just go find, and it wasn't just Spartan or Tough Mudder either. I was, I was just researching like all these obstacle races and everything and just trying out each and every one, you know, like Savage Race, Rock Solid Mud Run, you know, um, Hardcore Mud Run, you know, I was just, um, what's that one rebel race you know i was doing like all these different obstacle races and everything just more as like a weekend activity random all boots and utes everything like that you know so it's pretty much it pretty much like filled the void for for like the training and everything that i was missing in the military and stuff like that and it kind of gave me like a goal to accomplish and everything so i did that all you know all the way to the end of uh 2013 i ended up uh I went from planning on doing one or two races to doing like two Spartan trifectas, five tough mutters, world's toughest mutter. You know, I, uh, did the, uh, Killington ultra beast, but that one, I didn't make it all the way through the first time. And, um, yeah, so I just pretty much got into that, you know, and then, um, end of 2013, beginning of 2014, I got back into personal training again and I started working out in the city and everything. And, um, you know, first few months I didn't, first few months of 2014, I really didn't do much, but, um, I started stepping back into it slowly. Um, I flew, I flew out to Utah. I did the beast and everything. And then, um, 4th of July that year, I decided to be a little patriotic and do like a little tribute to, um, you know, the military and everything to represent the hardships and everything that uh we go through and i just i did a local race and decided to throw on a 45 pound ruck and do it so i did that and then you know it it got really good responses and it kind of like made people aware and you know like uh brought notice to a lot of that though so i kind of kept going with it and then i brought it out to all the ocrs i did everything so i started to become known as that guy that carried the 45 pound ruck and, you know, that uh, caught the attention of a few people. And, you know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Brad Fredericks, but uh, um, no. he had, uh, you, you familiar with him? I'm not, no. Okay. But um, he had, um, 
he was trying to start up like a little like sponsored by us company or whatever. And he wanted to kind of like use me to push it a little bit though. So he had, um, he had got, I was originally going to do the, um, you know, Killington ultra beast again, but he kind of, he pushed at me a little bit and he's like, you know what? Um, you need to do the death race. I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, um, I don't know about that, but he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I'll, I, I told him, I'm like, you know, I don't know if I have the money to do this. He's like, no, I'll get you in. So he got me into the team death race and, um, you know, I got linked up with, uh, Chris Rice, a few other people. And, um, you know, so instead of doing the ultra beast, I ended up doing the death race that year and never expected to get anywhere with it. I wasn't even sure I could finish it though, but you know, I had a really strong team and we ended up finishing probably three hours ahead of the second place team. So, you know, it was kind of interesting with that, you know what I'm saying? But, yeah. um, that was my, that was probably my big accomplishment for, uh, 2014. Awesome. Now I want to keep going and get a little more information out of you, but I want to back up a little bit. So my first question is, you know, I come from a similar sports background where I was kind of hopping around between, you know, marathon and triathlon and bodybuilding, powerlifting. You seem to be doing something similar, but like, I feel like I was doing it just cause I wasn't very good at ever, anything. And I just enjoyed training and mixing it up. So why were you switching sports so so often or so, you know, within the same training block? Well, because I – well, you know, kind of like you too, I like to be a little bit well-rounded. You know what I'm saying? Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, my, 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 biggest, my, my biggest passion, like as far as like fitness and everything go, used to be like all the heavy lifting. So I would kind of like bounce back and forth a little bit. And, um, you know, after, uh, after doing World's Toughest Mudder in 2014, I decided to go back to the heavy lifting again. You know what I'm saying? So beginning of 2015, I had a bunch of, um, or end of 2014, beginning of 2015, I had a bunch of, uh, family issues going on. You know, my, uh, you know, my dad's mental state was starting to deteriorate a little bit. So I ended up having to leave uh, New York city and come back to long Island. So I came back to long Island. I had to put my dad in the hospital, you know, and, um, while I was here, you know, I, decided to hit hard and heavy in the, with the weights and everything. So this is, this is kind of where I started to get into like ultra running a little bit. It sounds crazy though, but you know, I had my first major injury. So January of 2015, I was doing, uh, I was doing the skull crusher exercise, you know, and, um, I just download, you know, and it sounds cheesy, but I just downloaded like this little app for Instagram to make video collages and stuff and stuff like that. So, I'm trying to push myself as a personal trainer because I'm coming back to Long Island. I have no client base whatsoever, nothing. So I'm just trying to kind of market myself a little bit. And while I'm taking a video of myself doing skull crushers with 135 pounds, about four reps into it, I feel like something hits me in the back of the arm and I feel an electric jolt. I ended up uh, ripping my tricep tendon right off the bone. So, and it coincidentally, one of my clients the day before had told me to check into the VA and like get my benefits and everything processed. So, you know, um, it happens. They call the ambulance. I go to the emergency room, you know, doctor, doctor says to me, he's like, Oh, you'll probably be out of the gym for a month, whatever. I go to the VA the next day to finish my paperwork doctor there. She's like, Oh, you'll probably be out of the gym for a month, whatever. So I'm talking to the counselor to wrap things up and my arm was spasming a little bit and like, by this time, my elbow is like the size of a golf ball, like just swollen like crazy. So the counselor uh-huh. goes to me and 
She's like, that looks kind of bad. What did the doctor say? So I go to her. I'm like, oh, yeah, she said I'd be out of the gym for a month. She's like, um, I don't know about that. I'm going to send you down to the orthopedic. So I go down to the orthopedic. They look at it. He's feeling around. He's like, um, we need to send him down for an MRI, but I don't really even need to look on it. We can get him on the table as soon as Tuesday. I'm like, table, what are you talking about? He goes to me. He's like, dude, your tricep tendon's gone. It's not there anymore. Oof. If you don't get this surgically repaired, you're never going to be able to extend your arm or you, you might only, you might get like 10% of your strength back. So I ended up having the surgery and I pretty much just, just at the, you know, switch gyms, didn't have any clientele. I got my arm in this big bionic brace now, you know, like everything is just going to shit. I'm running out of money, you know? So I go to myself and I'm like, you know, I got to get myself out there again. So about two, three weeks after the surgery, I start running races again. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, all right, I got to get out there. I got to do something, you know? And I also still figured out a way to snake my arm through my, through uh, the pack strap of my ruck. So I'm out there. I got a 45 pound pack on. I have my arm in a brace and I'm light, I'm lightly trotting these races, but you know, I'm still out there. You know what I'm saying? And then, um, about seven weeks after my surgery, I still don't have use of my arm. Um, I think I, yeah, I talked to Alex, uh, Stabdell about it. You're, you're familiar with him, right? I'm not. Yeah. He's, um, he's a big time endurance guy. He, uh, he finished uh go ruck selection in, uh, 2017. Oh, nice. But, um, yeah, we, uh, we started talking and we all wanted to do this, uh, Palmonic trail 70 cases is my first ultra marathon. So, you know, I went out did it, you know, everything, everything that you could imagine during that race went wrong. You know, it was like 10 miles between aid stations, the temperature dropped, you know, we had an unpredicted snowstorm. So we had like five inches of snow, you know, I'm out, I'm out there or I'm still in a brace, you know, water tube froze in my bladder, everything went wrong, but you know, still made it through it and, you know, just kind of got hooked on that. So I mean, that's pretty much uh, what got me into it, though. Had an injury, couldn't really lift anymore. Took till about June before I got any, uh, you know, I, got, I had the surgery in January. Took till about June before I got any strength back in my arm, and that's pretty much when I got back into obstacle racing again. Gotcha. You know, How's the strength but, in um, now? Um, oh, yeah, no. I've had two surgeries. I wouldn't even know I had them, though. The, the surgery's healed up amazing. Really? The VA did a really good job at him. Yeah, I had a left tricep and then the right bicep in 2016. I'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> but, gotcha. um, yeah, after, after I healed up in June, um, backtracking like a month or so, one of my local friends saw this 100-miler. This, this gets into my first 100-miler. He saw a 100-miler on the Internet, and he's like, you got to do this. It's the beast of burden. You know, it's August of uh, 2015, you know really want to challenge try this out so i'm like okay so i get to the beast of burden and um i didn't really i've never at this point i've done like a 50 miler going into it that's pretty much like the longest run i've done so i go into this 100 mile race and i'm on the car ride up there and all my friends doing is running his mouth running his mouth running his mouth you know if you don't think you're gonna make it if you don't think this if you don't think that you know, he's one of those, um, he's one of those like little negative types that kind of, you know, talks and talks and talks, but as he's talking, as he's talking, I'm not really responding, but at the same time that Marine Corps spirit inside of me is like starting to kick in 
And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, doesn't matter what time you get, I'm going to crush you. So <laughs> I get out to the hundred mile race and, um, you know, I, um, I pretty much blitzed the first half of it. I did the first 50 in like 10 hours, you know, so I got a, I got a good jump start on it. 30 hour time limit, got the first 50 done in 10 hours. So I'm like, Oh, I could walk in from here, but you know, I kept cruising with it. So about two miles after I hit the 50 mile point, I wasn't really able to run much anymore. I was just doing like, you know, a little trotting, walking, trotting, walking. I got to the 75 mile point, I laid down, took a nap for like maybe like 10 minutes. Um, I got done. I, I got done with the nap. I started shivering uncontrollably, but you know, I was like, all right, I gotta keep pressing forward. So I couldn't really get up. I had the race director stand me up. He walked me, he walked me like another 10, 20 feet away from the aid station. Let me borrow a set of his sweatpants and then, you know, put me out on my own. I hobbled pretty much to like the 87 and a half mile point. The The course is pretty much a 12 and a half mile out and back that you do four times. Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, you know, 25 miles out and back, you know, do it four times. So 87 and a half, I'm doing okay. I'm starting to see a little stars. Can't really run anymore. I hobbled down to mile 93. By the time I get to mile 93, like the whole world feels like it's crashing down on me. You know, legs are swollen. This is swollen. That's swollen. So, you know, seven miles left in the race. I sat at that aid station, very last aid station on course. They put um, ice handkerchief on me, stood me up. It's pretty much like walking on stilts. They, uh, you know, I didn't really have much use of my legs. So they walked me out a couple of feet and then let me out on my own. Fast forward a little bit, two miles left in the race. The last two miles, my legs are like shutting down big time. My left hip flexor, like, ballooned up it was like swollen you know like you wouldn't believe I couldn't activate it so I was dragging my left leg and then I had to position my right foot a certain way so I didn't fall over but uh needless to say the last two miles took me like about an hour to finish so I crossed the finish line I got to the halfway point at 10 hours and uh two minutes it took me 29 hours and 25 minutes to finish the entire race Kind of close there. Yeah. Well, I took my buckle. I sat down, you know, relaxed, ate some pizza, you know, chilled out for a little bit. And then race director goes, he's like, oh, we got showers in the other room if you want to take one. I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go to go over there. So I go to stand up and then I couldn't move my legs. Like my brain wouldn't even signal them to move. They tried to stand me up. Legs gave out immediately. Every time they moved them, it felt like I was being ripped apart by knives. You know, so, like, I was in severe, severe pain, like you wouldn't believe. But um, after the race was over, they threw me in the back of my friend's car, drove, drove seven hours back to Long Island. My friend and his girlfriend uh, carried me to my car. I still was able to move my foot, so I was able to drive home. Couldn't get out of my car, slept in the driveway. So, <laughs> at this point in time, I'm like, something's wrong with me. So. I start canceling all my clients for Monday for Monday because I, you know, like my body's just not functioning. I can't like even signal my legs to move. And I start throwing Facebook posts up. I'm like, is there any, you know, is anyone off work today that could take me to the VA? So one of my friends responded, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm off. I'm with my nephew. We'll take you down. Or I'm with my cousin. We'll take you down there. 
They take me down to the VA, got a wheelchair for me, wheeled me in. So I'm in the emergency room and um, I asked the doctor, I'm like, you know, because everything's swollen, like everything's like ballooned up. So I go to the doctor, I'm like, well, the, what happened? Did I tear anything? You know, so he goes, he's like, well, you didn't exactly tear anything, but you're not going anywhere either. I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? He's like, well, we checked your creatine kinase levels. Uh, normal persons are about, uh, are like around 100. Yours are at 7,000. <laughs> so you have, um, yes, yeah, so you have a mild case of rhabdomyolysis. We have to keep you here for a few days until your blood levels drop. Con we have to connect you to IVs or your, your kidneys could potentially shut down. Ooh. Yeah, so that was major injury number two. <laughs> yeah, not that I encourage people to push themselves to that level, but I will say you do learn a lot about yourself and your own mental strength. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, you know what was crazy? I mean, I got yelled at by everybody on the planet that, you know, about that. But, um, but you know what was crazy about it? As much as I didn't want to be in the hospital, you know, like I started to think back on it. I'm like, wow. I exerted myself to the point of cell death. I couldn't believe I actually did that. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, it was, it, it was a crazy experience though too though. Cause like when the second doctor formally gave me my diagnosis when I was on the medical floor, I think like every single medical student was following him just because they wanted to meet the guy that did a hundred miles. <laughs> so nice. It was an interesting experience, but you know, I would continue to get myself in trouble cause, um, yeah, no, no future injuries that year, but, um, you know, everyone told me to take it easy for a while, take it easy for a while. The, uh, county actually made me get doctor's permission to do the marathon later that year because I had gotten interviewed on the radio for it and everything. But, um, like two, three, um, I got out of the hospital that Wednesday, that Wednesday night. So I had already challenged myself and I signed up for, this is where things start to get crazy. So that Saturday, this is like two, like two days after I get out of the hospital, I had already signed up for a uh, 5k in Massapequa, the uh, Tough Mudder in Bethpage, and then the Go Ruck 5k at night on the same day. So I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what? Um, I don't know if I should do this, but I'm going to go out and try it anyway. So I started like, like asking people whether or not if it was a good idea Everybody was calling me stupid. Everyone's like, no, you shouldn't do it. And then finally, somebody on my friends list is like, all right, hey, look, contact this guy. He's a doctor. He had this, a similar situation to you. Ask him to see if, the, ask him what he thinks about it. And, you know, but just be safe. So I contacted this guy. I can't even remember what his name is. But I asked him, I'm like, hey, you know, I told him the scenario. I told him I just got out of the hospital at Rad, though, this and that. And that I want to do a 5K, a tough motor, another 5K. He goes, he goes to me. He's like, look, just monitor your urine. If it starts to go, if it starts to go dark, stop. So I was like, all right. So I went out there and I successfully completed all three. <laughs> and you're still alive, which is a good sign. <laughs> and then a month after that, I did my first go ruck heavy. Gotcha. So like, but you know, like a, it's crazy though, because like I never. I, I think, I'm, I mean, but I have like a little bit of a mild case. There's people out there that have had like severe cases of like rhabdomyolysis where like it's affected them like six, seven months later. But with mine, it you know, like it pretty much went away almost immediately. Yeah, I'd be kind of curious to see just the blood, like the, the fitness or the, uh, you know, the blood values of every finisher of a 100 miler, like across the board, just to see where 
you know, like even the guy, the guy who wins to the guy who's, you know, jogging to the guys who, you know, comes in 15 hours versus 20 versus 30. Like, I mean, it's probably just got to look like a fucking disaster in there. I, oh, yeah. Well, because, I mean, like your body goes you, your body goes through so many different things like, uh, you know, 100 miler versus like any other distance, you know. Yeah. Like, um, hundred mile, hundred miles are a gut check though. And, and it's, um, you know, my, honestly, my favorite, my favorite distance to do is like the 50 miler when it comes to ultra marathons. It's, um, it's hard enough to, it's hard enough to give you a challenge, but it's not hard to the point where like you're almost going to the hospital every time you cross that line. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Fair enough. Fair enough. But, um, yeah, the hundred, the hundred miler, you know, the first 50 are usually fine. The back 50 are where all the problems start to happen. You know, I've had, I've had some of them where, you know, I've been consistent all the way through across the finish line, no issues, but usually the hardest part of a 100 miler, like for me is just getting through the night. Yeah. Two, three in the morning hits, you start falling asleep on your feet. You start staggering into the woods. You can't exactly lay down because you got wild animals all over the place. You know, it's. Yeah, you know, it, it makes for some fun times. You start hallucinating, you know. Yeah, so I want to ask you a bunch of about your 2019 goal in a minute. But before we get to that, like, you're obviously in very good shape, right? I mean, we've gone through, you've told some of these stories. They're insane. Um, your mental grid is through the roof, clearly. Why? And I mean, as a personal trainer, you know. Yeah, it's uh, 2016, the, you know, the stories get better, but, you know. As a personal trainer, you know that the best way to prepare for an event is to, you know, build, 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 taper, and perform. So why have you chosen to go with kind of quantity over quality? Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just like, um, well, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it too, I, you know, I do it as a tribute to the military. Sometimes I do fundraisers and everything to raise uh, money to help veterans and, you know, police officers and stuff like that out. But um, at, the same, at the same time, though, I guess it, I guess it kind of gets me out there. I mean, as a trainer, definitely. I know, like, if you're, you know, if you're trying to do your best, like, at a marathon or whatever, you know what I'm saying? You want to, depending on your base level of fitness, you want to give yourself at least 12 to 16 weeks, plan it in reverse, taper up to it, you know, then taper back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, you know, like, as far, like, as I mean, ultra, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like I just have to be out there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean. So. That answers that. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I mean, um, like me, I'm more of a, I'm more of like somebody that likes to kind of like test the limits of what I can do. And uh, don't get me wrong, I don't recommend that anybody else do what I do. <laughs> yeah. Like as far like from a professional standpoint, like I tell my clients all the time, don't do what I do. You know, do as just, I say, not as I do. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, because it's more of. Um, like for me, it's like, I kind of like to kind of test things out and see like how far I can go. I mean, you know, it's, I don't know. All right. No, let's get into your 2019 goals and then we can jump back and uh, hit on some of the, some of the stuff you've done in 2016, 17, 18. So 2019, like you said, you're going for 43, a hundred miler milers in a calendar year, which will be the world record. Um, how do you prepare for something like that physically and mentally well it's more of a mental game i mean physically like in between events like right now i'm not really doing any training i mean i might touch on the upper body a little bit just to try to maintain like whatever strength i can 
But as far as my lower body goes, I'm not training in between events because I'm doing pretty much almost every week or mostly every week because there's only 52 weekends in a year. But, um, but yeah, I'm not really doing any training during the week. Um, I have a physical therapist that I picked up as a sponsor. Nice. So like on Mondays and Wednesdays, I go down there, I just get stretched out, I get bladed, I get the electric stim, everything like that. So during the week, I mostly work on mobility and recovery and everything. And on the weekends, I run the events. Now, I'm not expecting my fitness level to improve too much because I'm constantly beaten. But at the same time, though, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at it like, you know, it's like a world record. You know what I'm saying? Yep. When you get to that point where you're doing something at that level, you can't really expect to improve that much. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, that's the, that's the top of the mountain, essentially. You know? Yeah. Like- it's all right. It's, if you, more, it's more or less like, you know, cause it's, it's not like you're preparing for like an isolated event. It's like, can I survive? Can I, uh, can I survive the storm? You know what I'm saying? No, absolutely. I, I totally get it. Now, what so, was your sponsor's name? Just uh, give him a quick plug. It's uh, Performax. Okay. Where is he located? They're, at? Uh, they're on, um, they're on a Bayshore road in like the Deer Park, uh, yeah, Deer Park Bayshore area. Gotcha. Cool. So they're they're Long Island, yeah. They they they've treated me really well, you know. So, so you've got about nine down already. How's it going? And uh, kind of how's how's the future looking? Um, I'm thinking it's looking pretty good so far. I mean, I feel fine. You know, no uh, minimal pain. I mean, your basic your your basic post 100 mile soreness lasts till about Wednesday. You know, some week some weeks I feel it more than others, but you know, like um, I've been handling it pretty well. Um, this next race in New Jersey, it was actually the la- the last race I uh, DNF'd at, or not real. It wasn't really on paper. It wasn't a DNF, but I didn't complete the hundred mile distance. This was about a year ago. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they recategorized me as a fifty mile finisher. You know, big mistake. I went indoors, laid down to take a nap. Lay well, laid down to take like a little ten minute break. Because sometimes, sometimes it helps you. Sometimes it hurts you. And in this time, it hurt me. Yeah. Cause I ended up sleeping through to the morning. So I ended up falling behind the time cutoffs and I had to drop out. So, but that was, uh, that was a year ago since then I've, uh, I finished my last 12, my last 12 one hundreds. So I haven't, de- that's the last thing I've ever not finished. Now, how much of these are you jogging and how much are you walking just out of curiosity? Um, it depends, uh, largely on the terrain. Like if it, like usually with a hundred mile or my, uh, my strategy, like if it's a flat course, cause the problem with the flat courses are the sneaky ones. Cause the flat courses you're using the same muscle group over and over and over again. Like that beast of burden that I did on the, the, for the first time, the reason I got the rab though, is I really didn't come in with that much of a strategy. I just straight up ran the first 50 and then my legs started to deteriorate as the event went on and on and on. So like a lot of, like if, if the course is flat, usually the strategy I, f- I follow, regardless of how much energy I have or how good my legs feel, I'll usually run for a mile, then walk for a minute, run for a mile, walk for a minute. Then as the race gets later on later on, I might change the strategy a little bit. Like I might walk for like half a mile or I might run for half a mile, walk for a minute, you know, but generally like. Every aid station I'll eat, doesn't matter if I'm hungry or not, you know, it's always important to stay on top of the calories. I'll always, um, cause usually like hundred mile races, it's not like a regular race where the aid stations are every mile. You may hit like, you may have a, like an 11 mile gap between the next aid station. So you always need like a water source, 
you know, like I'll usually carry like, you know, caffeine on me, some extra calories, you know, if I start, you know, cause if I start to crash and burn caffeine usually picks me up the quickest until I can get to an aid station and eat. And especially with this year, with the amount of events I'm, I'm doing, I'm trying to like budget it accordingly. So I usually don't carry too much on me. I just rely heavily on the, using the calories at the aid stations. Yep. You know, cause like every, every little dollar you spent on spend on this, like counts, you know what I'm saying? Especially with the bulk of the events I've been doing. Yeah. No kidding. You know, it's, did you get any other sponsors to support you? A uh, nutrition sponsor or anything like that? I could always use sponsors. <laughs> yeah. I had a, what's that? I feel like there's, I mean, you could, I feel like uh, you reach out to some of the right people. You can get hooked up for a lot of this stuff and severely reduce your cost. Oh yeah. Um, well, well, one company I'd love to have sponsor me would be Tailwind if they do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. They, uh, because, you know, cause I tell you what though, I did, um, I did the, uh, bad water race a couple weeks ago. It wasn't a 100, it was the, uh, 51.4, but, uh, I did it because I want to try to get into the 135 next year. Yeah. So it looks better. Like if you do one of their races and everything, when you go to fill out the application, but uh, I had food poisoning a few days before that, and uh, the entire 51 miles, I couldn't digest solid food. So they had tailwind inside the water jug. So instead of refilling on water, I refilled on tailwind, and my body was, despite the fact that I couldn't absorb any food, my body was still absorbing the tailwind. So it kept the calorie count and everything up, and I was still able to make it, make it through the race without, without too many issues other than just puking food up all the time. But, you know. I'm a huge believer in liquid calories. That's what I fuel with. I flew to Heimer Nutrition Perpetuum for World Toughest Mudder and pretty much every ultra OCR. So, yeah, it definitely helps us. I mean, especially if you, uh, I mean, you don't always get the indigestion. I mean, it depends on like how hard you're pushing, you know, because I mean, like a lot of these ultra marathons, a lot of it's energy conservation. It's just like knowing like exactly like how much to put out, exactly, you know what I'm saying? Mm hmm. Cause I mean, if you're going for like 24 hours or 12 hours or, you know, whatever, I mean, you know, that extended period of time, especially with all the cortisol being pumped out, all the stress hormones, the fight or flight response, everything like that, you know, your body's just a mess. <laughs> yeah. So you're just trying to absorb whatever you can, because if you don't have any calories, you're going to shut down. So. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about um, – we've got about 10 minutes left on the podcast before I need to kind of wrap it up here. Let's talk about it. You said back in 2016, that's when things started getting crazy. So uh, oh, let's yeah. try well, to do some – I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do highlights. it as briefly as possible. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I get a million and one stories, though, from all the, all the events and stuff I do. Yeah, so okay. um, 2016 was uh, when I ruptured my bicep tendon. That was uh, injury number two, and that one didn't put me out for any time whatsoever. Cause I pretty much got right off the operating table and started running races again. But, um, I did a, I did a 100 K followed by a tough mutter and, um, you know, I finished the 100 K it was in New Jersey. Tough mutter was in Pennsylvania. So I get to the funky monkey 2.0 obstacle. You know, the, I don't know if you remember the 2.0, uh, 2.1 variation where you had the, uh, long metal pole. Yep. So, you know, I got there. I had the, I had the 45 pound ruck on. I saw the camera guy. I just wanted some pictures. So I get up there, do the obstacle. I'm all, I, I'm, all I have to do is pass the last little chain that I'm hanging from to get to the platform and I'm done with it. 
So I take my left arm off to get around the last little chain that's holding up the metal pole. And all of a sudden I feel four cracks in my right bicep and my fingers just start tingling. I still finish the obstacle, but when I get off, you know, it's kind of tingling, kind of rolling a little bit. So I had them, um, I had them wrap my arm up, you know, still finished. And, um, I go back to, I go to, I go to the VA the next day. I didn't really think it was ruptured at first. So I was still able to move my arm. And, uh, after talking to the emergency room and the orthopedic and the MRI, uh, specialists are like, yep, you need surgery again. So I ended up having my, uh, right bicep reattached and, um, you know, this time, this, you know, this time I didn't really like, you know, get depressed about it, get anything about it. I just, I just went right back out there. I did, uh, I did a five mile, I did like a five mile run before I even got the brace put on. I still had the hard cast, but, um, backtracking a few weeks before that, um, I, um, you familiar with 50 miles from Murph? Uh, I'm not, I mean, I'm familiar with Murph. I'm not familiar with 50 miles from Murph. Okay. Well, it's something that, um, there's a four mile run around the lake in, uh, Lake Reconcoma. Freddie Rodriguez, this isn't mine. Freddie Rodriguez is actually the one that, uh, came up with this, but, um, every year, um, to get to the race, there was a firehouse that Michael Murphy used to hang out at. So what we do is we run from that firehouse in Harlem all the way to Lake Ronkonkoma and then do the four miler afterwards. And I was supposed to do it with them that year, but, um, I ended up getting, well, at first I was pulled out because, uh, I just had my, uh, right bicep tendon reattached. So I fought, I fought them about it, fought them about it. And then they finally let me do it. And this is like three weeks after I had the surgery and I ended up finishing it all. So, you know, I had, um, right arm, right arm in a brace, American flag in my left hand. And I ended up doing 50 miles three weeks after I did, after I had surgery on my right bicep. Yeah. Wow. Then, um, how how much time do we have left? Uh, Probably about, you know, yeah, five to 10 minutes, somewhere in that range there. Okay. So then, um, after 50 miles from Earth, um, I get into more like, uh, the police charity stuff. So I start seeing all this stuff online, how police are being treated negatively and everything. And, um, you know, like all the, ne- all the bad responses, all the abuse they get and everything like that. So I got kind of tired of it. So what I did though is, um, one day I randomly grabbed my flag, hopped on the train, ran out to New York city, dressed in blue. And I did a little tribute run through times square and through fifth Avenue and all over the city you know, just taking as many pictures as I could with police officers and just saying, thank you. So after, after I did that, I came up with the idea. I'm like, wait, why don't, if social media is putting out all this negativity towards police officers, why don't I try to spin that and try to start a movement where we respect the police and everything? So I decided to call it the, uh, thank the police tour. So what I did though, is, uh, I started a fundraiser on GoFundMe to make a to do a uh, cross country trip. You know, at first nobody took me seriously. Nobody ever takes anybody seriously at first. So I had to do a couple of uh, quick out and backs to different states and everything. But um, I bought, I bought about 40 American flags, a couple packages of thank you cards and anybody that donated, I hand wrote their name down. So every time what I did though is every time I visited a police station, 
I would, uh, I would run around the precinct with the flag. Sometimes I would get a police escort. Sometimes I would be, be on my own. Um, I would run with that flag and I would, and after I got done with the run, I would, uh, go to the, I would go to the police precinct. I would present them with the flag, present them with a thank you card with a handwritten list of all the donors, and then just simply give a thank you and then post it all over social media to kind of like try to revert, you know, reverse the negativity, mm-hmm. you know? So I start, you know, I started off like not really knowing what I was doing, but I would, you know, I, I ended up, um, all in all with that, I ended up getting a lot of press attention, you know, like, uh, positive press attention. I got a bunch of awards for it. I raised uh, $6,000 for charity and I pretty much went to 39 different locations around the country. That's awesome. I'm uh, all, all, all in a little over all, a little over a two week, uh, two week period. That's, that's so cool. Uh, big fan of that. My godfather, it was a Port Authority policeman who was actually in the base can't remember which tower collapsed first. He was in the base of one World Trade Center tower when the other tower collapsed. He survived. He survived. A lot of his uh, coworkers and you know friends and stuff did not. Um, so a lot of respect for that. And then on top of that, you know, as someone who's in the military, you know, I look at a lot of the these things that happen with the police that are broadcast on the news. You know, and everyone's second guessing their decisions and you know nitpicking and you know they're looking at footage of them and analyzing every little every little move what was difficult about it though is like both you and i know everything looks a lot worse on camera than it actually is exactly and all somebody has to do is incite a situation and then start the camera yep so when they see the video they don't know what escalated the situation they just see the situation while it's escalated already Right. And people do this type of stuff all the time. And like what's always seen on camera isn't like the full story. It's yep. not like, you know, it doesn't, per, it doesn't show the picture of, you know, it doesn't paint like the entire picture. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it also all doesn't do, show all you're doing is what's that. Uh, I was gonna say, it also doesn't show trends, right? Like the police officer may have been in very similar situations before where the outcome yeah. was very negative. Right. And you know, Oh yeah. Well, because police are humans too, though. I mean, I mean, you know, like you got somebody coming at you, you know, and you got a little nine millimeter and he's like all amped up and everything. That nine millimeter is not always going to put him down. Yep. You know what I'm saying though? So you got dudes that, you know, I mean, they have, sometimes they have to empty their entire magazine just to drop them. Yeah. I mean, now they're getting criticized for like excessive force and this and that, but you know, if you're scared for your life, you're going to do what you got to do. Yes, Absolutely. Um, I know, you know, as someone who's been deployed for the military, one, we're fortunate enough where our, a lot of my decision, like we still, we typically do an investigation after something happens overseas. Um, but it's not like, there's not a public scrutiny that's trying to like rip me to rip me to pieces. And generally I feel like the worst part about it, you know, the commanders I've had, it's at a point where they can't do anything right. You know? (laughs) Yeah, the commanders I've had, you know, kind of give you the benefit of the doubt. And, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, they still investigate, but at the same time, you know, they're, I, I look at some of the situations the police are in America, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that, they use a lot more restraint than I would have would on the streets of Iraq. I'll tell you that much. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, period. <laughs> like, you would not have liked the, that ending if, if it was me um, and I was in Iraq. So, um, just kind of leave yeah. it at that. Um, it's, it's a hard job. They're out there defending uh, your safety every day. And while, you know, they're not perfect, um, you know, 
the majority of them, overwhelming majority of them, like 99.9 are doing their absolute best. So, um, yeah, without a doubt. So good stuff. Uh, before we let you go, any other, uh, highlights you want to touch on? I mean, there's a, there's a, there's always a bunch of them, but I mean, if you want, if you want to have me come back on another time for like a part two or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're only a not even a quarter of the way done with your hundred miler uh, goal for the year. So let's definitely bring you back on at the end of 2019 and we can kind of see how everything panned out. And uh, hopefully uh, we can be talking about your world record and how awesome you are. And that um, I love, again, I further love the fact that you are not like an ultra, you don't look like an ultra runner. I mean, you're strong, you're, you're hybrid athlete. You come with, uh, a lot of different skill sets, and then on top of that, you're an OCR athlete too. Which, yeah, again, but, you know, I, I I bounce back and forth. I mean, obviously, my strength isn't was isn't where it was when I was, uh, you know, like powerlifting. Like, I don't have a 600 pound deadlift or anything at the moment, but you know. And before we started the podcast, what did we uh, just tell the audience what you kind of mentioned about um, kind of your strength background and why why you think that plays an advantage for your ultra running. Well, I think the strength background is very important. I mean, especially since I started so young. So, I, you know, starting at 13, I think, um, you know, all the heavy lifting and everything, though, it, it contributed to having, like, a better bone density than most people. Concur. You know what I'm saying, though? Because, I mean, like, heavy lifting layers down bone. It doesn't just build muscle. You know what I'm saying, though? And um, a lot of times when people do excessive amounts of cardio, their cortisol output's very high, and cortisol – Cortisol, I also believe, strips down bone bone density. Yeah, because cortisol is highly destructive and everything. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I think the uh, I think the weight training background and everything like that contributed to the higher bone density. So it uh, made me a little bit less at risk for like stress fractures and stuff like that. So it also made the connective tissue and everything a little bit stronger. So I think that had yeah. This is just like my theory and everything, but I think it. Had, you know, I think it has a lot to do with uh, my recovery time and everything like that and why I haven't, you know, the only lower body injury I had was, um, I mean, outside of the rab though, the only uh, lower body injury I had, I had a bone chip in my right talus bone. I got that at the um, uh, New Jersey Ultra last year. Yeah, I mean, that's that's ridiculous considering the number of endurance, you know, leg focused stress events you've done so and i still um, i still finished that race too <laughs> i completely i shipped it on uh i shipped it on mile one running down the mountain because i'm not, i don't know if you did the new jersey ultra last year but it was glossed over with rain and it was or uh it was glo- it was glossed over and wet and everything was covered by leaves so you couldn't see any rocks any twigs any branches anything and i was running down the mountain and i caught the inner edge of my foot on a rock cranked it and heard a pop Mm-hmm. thought I was done I went to go hobbled I would, but I, you know I went I hobbled down to the bottom of the mountain I was gonna pull myself from the race but then it kind of went numb so I'm like you know what I'll just see how far I can get and then I ended up finishing it <laughs> then I came out for the beast the next day I, 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 I walked the beast I didn't run it Tuesday you know by Tuesday of that week ankle was the size of a grapefruit pretty much got it x-rayed turned out I broke it Followed up with the orthopedic a week later. The orthopedic told me, he's like, you know, he's like, well, there's not really much you could do about it, but I would take that boot off, and you could start running like about seventy percent. So naturally, I pretty much went back to full steam again. Almost, I just cut back on 
a lot of the ultra distances up until August. So it didn't really stop my season at all. It just kind of slowed it down a little bit. Gotcha. But that's about, that's also about the time I started, I linked up with those Performax guys and, you know, after the, they pretty much almost like reset my ankle. So I was able to get my speed back. It was crazy. But Nice. Well, I, I strongly concur with you. I come from, you know, background where I was doing a lot of weight training and then I was also doing endurance training and bouncing back and forth between the two. So I th- strongly agree with that. Personally, I've never had any lower limb injuries that were serious, right? Like I've, I've hurt something or rolled an ankle that took me out of running for a couple of days, but I mean, I've, yeah. I've been going, well, I've been, I mean, especially in the trails, rolling ankles comes with the territory. I mean, you know, you're going to roll ankles here and there. Right. Yeah. I always seem to kick a rock at least once per ultra. Yeah. It's like my thing. And then one of my toes turns black and blue. That's like my, oh, yeah. it's my MO regardless of how much, if it's like a 20 mile ultra or it's a 20 mile trail run or a hundred mile, I will kick one rock regardless. Like it doesn't matter. Just one. Yeah, sometimes you don't even see them. They just happen. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. All right. We're going to let you go, and we will bring you back on, like I said, at the end. Before we do yeah, that, definitely. though, any final shout-outs you want to give to friends, family, sponsors, et cetera, and then also where can people find you on social media? Um, well, I guess, um, I guess I'd like to thank the usual people, you know, family. Uh, I have a lot of friends out there. Um, you know, best obstacle racing buddy is probably, you know, Zach Wisnowski. I'll give him a little shout out, shout out, give a uh, Cody Milner shout out, oh, you know, no, um, you know, Cody. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he was actually a client of mine, uh, a couple of years back and then we became uh, really good friends. So, but yeah, I've, I've traveled with quite, I've traveled, I've traveled to quite a few races with Cody. Nice. And then, um, yeah, and um, yeah, one of the guys, uh, one of the guys. Um, well, you you know David Goggins, obviously. Yep. Um, I only not recently, personally, but I know I know of him. Yes. I only recently like heard of him, like as of last year, though. But he's one of the, he's one of the inspiring things that got me to, kind of like push towards this a little bit, though, because I, I, you know, because I I used to DNF things here and there, like uh, like out of the one hundreds, I've got, I've got a total of nineteen that I finished, but I do have five DNFs. But, um, ever since, uh, ever since I've heard his story and everything, I have not DNF'd anything. Yeah. Just knowing what he's put himself through and like, you know, with the hole in the heart and running bad water on broken feet and making it through three hell weeks on broken feet. You know, I start like hearing stories like that and everything. And, um, when you start thinking about it though, and it kind of puts things into perspective though. And like, you start thinking about it and like, nobody's really like, you know, like nobody's like really like superhuman. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's all like a mind state. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, you know, I start, I start to think like if this guy has a capability to do all this stuff with all the health defects and everything that he's got, you know, it's like, what, what's my excuse for tapping out? You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. So like after hearing, after hearing his story, his story and everything, like, yeah, you know, DNFing isn't even an option anymore. I like it. I like it. So, any other? Uh, where can people find you? Social media. Okay, social media wise, um, I just um, I just came up with um with another page to cover the uh, to cover the journey with the hundred mile races and everything. 
you know, I was just, I need to think of something catchy. So I came up with uh, Billy, the 100 mile slayer. Uh, that's the uh, page on Facebook that, you know, you guys can uh, find me at. And then on Instagram, I'm simply Billy, the trainer. Nice and easy. I don't even know how I got that and how it was still available, <laughs> but it was. Awesome. Well, lots of great information. Obviously, Billy will be doing 100 milers pretty much every weekend. So if you need some inspiration, you can head over to his page. You can follow him. You can stay up to date with you know, how his accomplishment is going and you know, how he's moving along that path. Uh, do you have anything available for people to kind of donate to offset costs or anything like that? Uh, right now, I got a GoFundMe up. Um, it's, um, if you just look up Billy, Billy Richards, it should pop up. It's, um, it's labeled as, a, I don't know the uh, hyperlink off the top of my head, though, but it's just labeled as uh, attempting to break the 100-mile world record. Gotcha. Well, we'll get- yeah, if you, do, if you do a search for Billy Richards, you should be able to find it. We'll, uh, get, that, actually, we'll get that link for everyone, and we'll share it to the Strength and Speed page so everyone kind of donate if they want to. But yeah, definitely. And then, um, yeah, I'm, um, I'm working, I'm working at once I get everything funded and covered. I, um, I'm also working at, uh, getting on the hope for warriors team. You know, the run for the warriors. I don't know if you ever heard of them. I'm, I'm not familiar. Go ahead. Yeah. It's, um, well, I mean, they're a charity organization. They help, uh, post nine 11 veterans and everything get, um, you know, get situated after they, uh, after they get out of the military and everything. I submit, I submitted my paperwork to them. So I'm in their system, but I'm, you know, like there's nothing official yet. So eventually I'll, I'll, uh, push the raise funds for them. You know what I'm saying? Cause like anytime, anytime I do like a task like this big, I always like to make it for a charitable cause. I never really like to make it like, you know, like about me, but you know, like in the beginning with this, I have to, I, you know, there's a lot of funding to cover as you can imagine. So yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, especially for, I mean, just the travel alone to 43 races is, yeah. I mean, that, yeah. Insane. I mean, that, 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 that's another story in itself. I've, I've been bouncing around quite a few credit cards to get all that accomplished, but yeah, you know, if I can pull it off, it'll all be worth it in the end. And then the logistics, so. like, again, uh, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but like logistics of a lot of these ultra things becomes, I mean, almost as, mentally taxing at some of the races because oh, you're yeah. like oh well, i gotta I mean, I, plan here and do this and you know i gotta be on this flight but then i need to be back at work and blah 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 oh, i still i still i still train people on friday mornings and then right after i get off i either head to the airport or i drive down to where i'm going and then you know sunday when i finish i go right back to the airport or drive right back home there's been a bunch of times where i've slept on the airport floor like waiting for my flight and I just uh, take my cell phone and set an alarm for like, like next to my head for like 10 minutes before my flight boards. So. And you're going to uh, most of these by yourself or do you have like a crew or someone that's coming? I'm always by myself. I don't, I don't really have a crew unless, uh, some, unless somebody like donates one to me. That you know, every, every so often if I have a friend or two running the event too, like, you know, their crew will help me out or whatever. But for the most part, I'm on my own. That's so. even more impressive to me because my dad usually comes or my wife and they yeah. essentially take care of me. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, that's probably the most impressive thing I'm <laughs> from like that. I, I'm looking at you from the outside that you're just going to all this solo. Yeah. I think okay. I, um, I think I actually ran into your dad at the, at a uh, JFK a couple of years back when the uh, world's toughest mother was in uh, Las Vegas. You did. Uh, my mom, I used my mom, yeah, my dad he, uh, ran into you. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. It was kind of funny though. Like, oh yeah, do you know Evan? I'm like, yeah, I know him a little bit. <laughs> so I, I remember they showed up to the event and asked me um, if I knew you. Because they were like, oh, I ran into somebody at the airport. Blah blah blah. I was like, oh, that's yeah, that's pretty funny. So yeah, good story. Um, all right. Uh, any final shout outs? We got to get going. Um, that's about it. I know I probably went over by like a good half hour or so, but that's fine. I think it was some great information, interesting stuff. Like I said, we'll have you back on the podcast, uh, for the listeners. If you, by the time this comes out, my book, mud run guides, ultimate obstacle course race bucket list will be out. So again, I've talked about it a little bit before, but contributions from about a dozen different athletes, both from strength and speed, conquer the gauntlet pro team and the mud run guide crew who basically came together, took it a bunch of popular races, OCRs across the nation and gave kind of recaps and reviewed them and put them into one consolidated source. So it includes every U S OCR champion, I'm sorry, North American OCR championships qualifier, every OCR world championships qualifier, and then a lot of other great stuff. So a lot of the local brands, in addition to covering things like the Spartan honor series and the Spartan mountain series and all that good stuff. So check that out. If you're into ultra like Billy is, uh, pick up a copy of my book, Modern Guides Ultra OCR Bible. It's the only book focused on endurance obstacle course racing. So you can head over and check that out. We are starting to get low on supply, so I probably will sell out by the end of 2019. So if, you're gonna, if you've been waiting to buy that because you're not running World's Toughest to the end of the year or Enduro until in June, I would pick it up now because eventually we will run out. And I do not plan on ordering more because ordering books in large quantities is expensive and uh, I need to make my money back there. So, uh, but I hope you enjoy it. Again, I don't hold anything back in the ultra OCR Bible. I essentially share every secret I have, which is not really that secret, but you know, I uh, share everything I have in an effort to make you better because eventually I will leave the sport and I want to leave, you know, positive uh, recollection or image or knowledge passed off to the next generation of athletes. So Check that out, all available online at the Strength and Speed store, as well as the new Blegmits, uh, the three millimeter ones. All right, Billy, thanks for coming on, and we will have you back in a couple months. Uh, definitely. Thank you for having me. I'll catch you later. All right, catch you later. <laughs>